Welcome to Ideagen Insights, Episode 4, Digitalization, Disruptive Technology and Other Innovation. Hi everyone, and welcome to Ideagen's official podcast series focusing on the biggest issues facing internal auditors across Europe and North America in 2020. My name is Stephanie Jones, and I am the Product Manager for Pintana Audit and Pintana Risk at Ideagen. And I'm joined today by Jason Webb. Jason, if you could introduce yourself. Hi, thank you, Stephanie. My name is Jason Webb. I'm the Head of Research Innovation at Ideagen. Um, my job is to look at disruptive and innovative technologies for um, Ideagen and see how it affects our customers. Thank you, Jason. In each of these episodes, we look at a very specific topic identified as a key business risk by European and American branches of the IIA and evaluate how these impact uh, the internal audit departments. So today we are going to talk about digitalization, disruptive technology, and other innovation. So thank you, Jason, for joining me on this podcast and this very important topic. So despite 58% of chief audit executives reporting that digitalization, disruptive technology, and other innovation as being a top five risk, and 18%, by the way, claiming it's the number one risk, only 30% of chief audit executives say that they are spending significant resources on this risk. Why do you think that is? I think a lot of people, it's not very visible in the organizations. If you talk to uh, small and medium and larger customers, um, there's a lot going on that they haven't got any awareness or governance of. So typically we're getting, you know, where's my data and where's my apps? Well, a lot of the apps that we used to have on-premise are now in the cloud. Um, and again, part of that is, that's a good thing because it makes your business more agile. Well, that's part of the pitch but it does expose you to a lot more risk in the organization because you have no knowledge of what's going on, um, because IT aren't in control anymore and there's no corporate governance in this. It's kind of back to the Wild West scenario that we had in the 80s where people would do their own thing. Um, and that's a big problem for businesses because you just lack the control of, of all the things going on in the organization. And I know audit does have a, an, an enviable task of actually trying to tie all this together and working out what's going on. But it's actually much more difficult in this era of digitalization and extreme change to actually tie them together. So people aren't aware that there's a big problem here. It's not that they're burying in their heads in the sand. They just don't know what's going on. And, and, and that's a tough problem to address across organizations because, um, for example, in ideas internally, we're, we're an organization with a global spread. Um, and it's just difficult to work out, you know, people can go and sign up for these applications and that's a big problem because they're not governed, they're not auditable, they don't know what people don't, don't know what's going on. Absolutely. And I think that's a good point, Jason. You don't know what you don't know. So it's hard to sometimes even be aware of, of these different applications and um, not having that visibility can be difficult. I also think that it's something that is very much outside of a normal internal audit. So Normally, an internal audit, you have a very well-known plan and you can figure out where to go. And if these are unknown areas, then it's it makes that more difficult. So along that same line, what do you believe are some of the most pervasive examples of this business model disruption? And how do you think technology is enabling it? Refer, I'm referring back to what I said earlier about um, applications, but it's, it's the SaaS model that businesses are moving to. This software as a service where 
I sign up, I pay a few bucks a month type thing for the service, and it's really useful to me. Um, I roll that across the board across the organization, but again, there's no oversight on this. Um, these things are done behind the back of IT and behind the back of any regulatory or corporate governance. Therefore, as they're not visible, so it's these disruptive um, companies coming to the marketplace with these new technology thinking, that would be really good. So as a business manager, I think that's really useful to me. It will enable me to work in a better way. So it's disrupting the way we do business. But internal audit hasn't quite caught up yet. That sounds a bit harsh, but there's simply a lot going on. And business managers could sign up these things with a corporate credit card and I'm done. And it's costing us $20 a month for my few people to use this um, amazing piece of software. But where's my data going? You know, and what's going on with the software? Who can see it? And all those sort of fun questions that internal audit like to ask, but people don't have good answers for. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of this, the SaaS stuff has been enabled by the cloud, the explosion of the cloud. So Microsoft, Google, Amazon, or those sort of people also give you internal audit problems because it's a case of, you know, what standards do you obey? Are you obeying, um, I think it's SaaS 70 or whatever. Amazon will let you go into the data center and check where your data is. It's meaningless to them because they have a global spread. So it's much more difficult to get a handle on how people are handling your data and what they're doing with it. Um, the other part of this disruption is quite a subtle one. It's what we call BYOD, which is bring your own device. For example, I have my iPhone here. I connect to the corporate network. How is that controlled? Um, now millennials are entering the workforce and Gen Z, I think it is, are coming in as well. They have their own ways of doing things. They're very much the Instagram and the Tinder culture. And that's very disruptive to businesses. They move a lot quicker than we do. Their work-life balance is different um, to the way that businesses are currently run in most cases, particularly large businesses working in regulated environments. So it's very disruptive to them. They get staff coming in, disrupting the status quo, not because it's wrong, it's because they're quite often they're passionate about what they do. They care about the corporation they work for and they want to make change. Now, sometimes uncontrolled change is not a great thing for organizations because it can cause problems with regulators. When the regulator turns up and says, why are you doing this? What have you done? Um, the answer is a shrug of the shoulders and that's not acceptable. Absolutely, that's a good point. And I think that some of these companies that are more established, some of the incumbent businesses that have been around for a while, there are disruptors coming into their marketplace with brand new technology. And, and maybe the incumbents have technology that's a little bit older or um, a little more experienced and are now up against some of these incumbents that, that you know, come in just from scratch. So they're coming in with newer technology, um, you know, the incumbent has the experience and the reputation and things like that um, as well. And you're exactly right. The millennials and those that are entering the workforce, you know, which direction will they be most interested in? So it, it becomes different. Um, what do you think are other big challenges facing incumbent businesses when they're competing with these newer, uh, maybe technology-based uh, disruptor companies? Uh, the incumbents are often slow to adopt new technologies due to the processes internally. And that's not always a bad thing. Again, it's about oversight and governance of what's going on in the organization. If you have no clear vision from above about what to do with new tech, then you have a problem. Um, 
I'm a techie by, by trade. Um, it's a cool piece of technology. I want to go and have a play with it. Okay. I'm not always thinking about the ramifications of that technology, whether it's ethical, whether it's regulatory or whatever. Um, it just looks cool. I'll go and play with it. Machine learning, good case in point. At IdeaGen, we have a good business case for leveraging machine learning to assist our customers. Other companies don't. They're just going to throw machine learning at the wall and see what sticks. And that's a bit of a problem because machine learning um, has ramifications, things like, you know, again, what you do with my data in Europe, it's GDPR um, and the appropriate standards in the USA and California. And it's going to cause friction with the organization as the old guard says, well, this isn't good enough. And the new guys are coming in and saying, we want change. We want it now. We don't want it in three months time when you've ticked all the boxes. We want it now. Um, and it's also, we, we have a sea change in technology from very much on-premise IT, which is, again, well-controlled, to the cloud native applications, which we're deploying nowadays, which are much more freeform and much more mobile and liable to change. So it's, again, it's back to change management, how you address that in organizations. Absolutely. And I think that's a good point about the cloud native versus on-premise uh, from my experience in internal audit, and I've been in the business since 2000, um, over the past 20 years, it's <laughs> there's been a lot of changes. And the biggest, most recent change, especially around internal audit software, is previously many internal audit departments uh, did not want to use any software other than on-premise. And we're definitely seeing a shift in that. And that cloud native allows and having that technology really allows um, other things like you mentioned, AI and, and machine learning and um, robotic process automation, that it's just more difficult to uh, put into place quickly and efficiently when the software is on premise. Um, but luckily, it seems like the industry of internal audit is beginning to shift as well. It might be a little behind the times, but certainly I'm seeing that shift. Are you seeing that shift as well, Jason? I am. I work in industries such as um, defense and life sciences, who are very much centrally controlled organizations. They're extremely paranoid, is possibly the right word, about security and where their data is going because they work in highly regulated markets. They're, but they're changing the way they work. They're actually moving data into things like Microsoft's um, Office 365, into uh, Google Cloud, into Amazon's Cloud, social things. So people are actually changing. There is a big appetite for this within organizations where they want to limit the amount of infrastructure they have internally and move it to the cloud. So um, Good case in life sciences, there's very much incumbents who work on premise, but the cloud guys have eaten them alive. Okay, the market has irrevocably changed. And that was a big change. Five years ago, I would said that wasn't going to happen, but it has, and it's been embraced by all the big players in life sciences. So there is definitely an appetite for change in large organizations. And often it comes at a speed you don't quite expect. People are willing to say, let's go for it. Um, and nothing bad has happened. You know, they still have that level of control. They have that level of auditability, which they need to show the regulators, particularly in, say, life sciences, where if you annoy the FDA, you know, your drugs don't get done. Um, so I think people like Microsoft, as I said, Microsoft and Amazon have actually changed the rules for us, which is a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think 
one of the challenges that, that incumbent businesses face, in addition to everything that you mentioned, but one of the things is how do you maintain, how do companies maintain their earnings and their core business while funding this innovation? Um, I saw a, a quote recently from Netflix and uh, someone there said that many companies fail to look for new things because they're afraid to hurt their core businesses. And and I think that's very much true, even aside from technology. Um, and speaking of Netflix, I remember uh, back in the day, uh, I, I was an early adopter of Netflix and what it used to be, Jason, I don't know if you know this or, or was a part of it, but uh, it used to be that Netflix, their business was DVDs and you would have one DVD subscription or a two DVD subscription. And when you were done with your DVD, you would, they would mail it to you, you would look at it, they would, and then you would send it back. That was Netflix. And then they then became a mainstream, of course, in streaming technology. So their core business completely changed, still in the same industry, probably more of an adjacent market. But um, now, you know, we all know Netflix. It's, it's, it is mainstream completely now, but it's because they weren't afraid to look at innovative way of doing things. Exactly. Um, interesting stat for you. Netflix still send, I believe, 2 million DVDs a month out in the US. <laughs> Perfect. So not everyone changed. But yeah, that's that is an interesting stat. I didn't even know that they still offered that. But I did used to get my Netflix DVDs. Uh, now I just turn it on my smart TV, right? <laughs> exactly. I think that Netflix have an interesting problem about pivoting here because they pivoted to streaming and they do own the streaming market. You know, people, Netflix and something is, is a phrase that people regularly use. They're now, they're now trying desperately to get away from the DVD shipping because it costs them money. Uh, so it's a strange turnabout. And obviously, we've now got people like Apple and Amazon now piling into this market because it's extremely lucrative. You know, everybody paying those 10 bucks a month uh, fees for streaming is great. Um, Spotify changed music overnight. So, so these, um, these pretenders have come along. Obviously, Amazon and Apple have unique amounts of muscle and marketing ability that smaller companies lack. But, you know, there's also the next best thing come out of Silicon Valley. And some of the things coming out there are intriguing, and particularly in things like machine learning space and those sort of things, that it's democratizing a lot of these technologies out to businesses that couldn't normally afford it. I mean, data scientists are going to cost you probably 100K a year to employ, if you're lucky, if you can get a hold of one, depending on where you are, for example, in the US and Europe. These people are very expensive, and there are, you know, there's simply not enough of them. So a lot of the skills that we need in-house aren't available. But people like Amazon and Microsoft and the others have these things set up. You can go in, business managers can go in, press buttons, we're good to go now. So the rules have changed. And this can help businesses pivot if they want to pivot, you know, or set up these innovation tribes, I think is the phrase to use, within companies to actually change the way that companies innovate. So it's setting up companies within companies to be actually work cross-functionally Cross organizations to make these changes. Um, and that needs to come very much from the top of the organization. You know, Idea Gen, I know I've got support of the CEO, the CTO, and CDO, uh, and the CMO all sat behind me going, We need to do this. These are things we're interested in. We'll do them. Um, and that level of support you need in a business to make effective change. Definitely. We're lucky here at Idea Gen because we have an 
innovation department and a research department that you yourself lead. And some companies may not have that. And if they don't have the ability, uh, you know, to, to fund innovation like that, then maybe a company can acquire an innovative company. And in that, of course, there's risks associated with that. And you need a clear integration plan and all those types of things as well. So businesses, I think, can come at it different ways. But I do like that we have our, our research department here. Yeah, it's, it's not all playing with robot dogs. <laughs> Darn it. There goes that picture. <laughs> um, okay, so how do you feel that internal audit can offer support to businesses as businesses look at these digital initiatives or maybe this kind of disruptive technology? I think the key thing for me is helping define boundaries for data. Okay, data is one of the key intangible assets that a business has. Um, and it's where you actually control that. And I don't mean we're talking centralized control over the data. It's managing that data internal and outside, inter, sorry, inside and outside the organization. So it's managing the data inside and outside the organization. And that's a key point here, what's acceptable? And this comes back to, you know, helping your staff thinking, that's a cool set of technologies. We can go and use the app. We can go and work in this way. And that's acceptable. It's dealing with the organization's attitude to risk. If you're working in, say, uh, an insurance we going for 300 years, then your attitude to risk will be very different to a, an occupying startup in insurance, which is going to be going for three months and they really want to stop the market. And your appetite for risk there, they've got nothing to lose, the startup. The incumbent to be running 300 years has a lot to lose. Um, it's, it's prestige, it's um, corporate culture, it's all those sort of things that tie an organization together that could go bad. Um, so it, it's helping define those boundaries. The other thing is helping people understand the risks in things like um, cloud native apps and these platforms and things like that. It's kind of alluded to what I said earlier is the old standards for say data center compliance, which I mentioned earlier, you can't audit Amazon on that. They won't let you. Okay. If you're deploying for say the US government, you might be deploying in, into the secret cloud. We have no visibility of that. We're not the right people to do. So it, it's very difficult to have that level of control and audibility of your applications. Um, but it can be done. A few high-level processes and a few frameworks to help people actually understand what's what they can and can't do will help tremendously. And if there's an exception, that can be dealt with. But it's managing those exceptions. Setting the ground rules, managing the exceptions. Um, the other thing is back to things like ML and AI initiatives, which a lot of companies are starting to kick off now. Although some organizations have a very poor story to tell with ML, as I said earlier, throw machine learning at the walls, see what sticks. Some companies have a really good attitude to this. So back to the insurers, for example, they need to understand the model they're generating for risk and actuarial models. So, you know, if somebody's going to live in this particular state, what's their chance of having a car accident? Okay, we can compute that, we generate the models, but we need to know why. Okay, it's not acceptable to say to the customer, we're not gonna insure you for this risk because the computer model says, we're not gonna insure you. You need to have a deeper understanding of what the inputs are and what the outputs are. And that's a tricky thing for internal to do. That's what specialist, but it is doable. Okay, as these models grow over time, you need to step, take a step back and say, is this useful? Because quite often a human will say, I don't understand why you made that particular reason. 
Um, and that's where internal audit needs to take a step back and say, no, this isn't right. You know, we looked at the models, we looked at the inputs, we looked at the outputs, and we either overexposed or underexposed. We're actually turning away uh, revenue here because we don't understand what's going on because the computer won't tell us. Um, and that's when internal audit have a key role to play is actually policing those models. And it's not an easy job, but it is a very useful one for organizations. Because if you're completely driven by these models and you have no common sense, you're not applying little rationale. Um, so the underwriters actually know in this particular state, there might be certain sort of accidents that are higher, but the computer's not recognizing that. Or it might be lower than normal and the computer needs to understand that there's other um, other things affecting this. And that's when internal audit have a key thing to play because they're people, they understand. They have a broader understanding just other than the mathematical models. Right, absolutely. And and just asking those questions, you know, do we know how our business can be disruptive? Um, I don't think it's up to internal audit to determine whether strategy is right, for example, but completely concur that what internal audit can do and what they do bring to the table is assessing the processes and the inputs and the models that led to that chosen strategy or that, um, you know, that business decision. So completely agree that it's the inputs where uh, internal audit can really bring some value. So what questions do you believe that chief audit executives need to ask themselves to make sure that their internal audit team is fully equipped to deal with these risks around digitalization, disruptive technology, and innovation? Um, for me, it's embrace SAS to control it, okay? Set the ground rules up so what's acceptable to internal audit? Because when they turn around to internal audit, the business turns around to internal audit and say, what's going on here? Um, you have an answer. You know, we've set the rules up. If somebody's violating the rules and you've gone and looked at it, then we can deal with it appropriately. So say, you know, that organization is shipping data to China. Why? Uh, what's going on here? Um, so if you work in the US federal environment, for example, that anything going via um, the Far East is probably a no-no. So it's setting those rules up to do a little, getting the business managers to do a little due diligence here, rather than just saying, yes, I tick the box. Yes, I tick the box. I've signed up. I've, I've now committed the organization to a, an onerous set of uh, standards here that I can't comply with. So basically, I've signed us up for something we can't deal with. I've ticked the box in the agreement that says, you can send all my data wherever you like. That's not acceptable, okay? So it's, it's setting those ground rules up for internal audit to say, um, we'll help you here. We, wanna, we want to be parties to this so we know what's going on. So when somebody kicks off a new initiative, you're kind of there at the start and say, these are the rules. Okay, I don't understand this. Can you get more information, please? It's basically controlling the SaaS migration as businesses move away from on-prem. Um, it's also making sure that when you sign up to cloud and SaaS providers, they have a basic set of standards. So if you mandate that you follow GDPR, then the organization doesn't ship your data off where it shouldn't be. Um, and we're good to go, okay? If that's your basic standard, that's okay. But it's setting these basic ground rules, I think it's important. Um, and also working out what external parties have access to your data. So my data's in the cloud. Well, which bit of the cloud? Who has access to it? All the cloud is other people's computers. That's really all it means. So it's all about 
working out where everything is, which is an unenviable task because IT don't know anymore, corporate governance don't know anymore, Internal audit need to help actually just set the rules up. Absolutely. And I think that's some really good points that you brought up. And um, as an internal auditor, you know, the internal auditors want to be considered as a trusted advisor to the business. And as these new processes are coming in place, is internal audit prepared to really advise on the design of those controls that need to be in place for those systems? Not to be responsible for the controls because that will always main, that will always remain with the business, but is internal audit prepared to, to give advice on the design of the new systems put in place? And, and I think the other thing that you mentioned that is very relevant is that these innovation projects and, and these new things that are coming up, do they still have good controls? I think it's easy to become and fall victim to becoming a little more lax in the control structure when something is brand new. But like you said, there's still things that you can do looking at the internal controls of a third-party system, for example, or a third-party application. Um, there's always things you can look at. So, you know, not giving an, an giving inappropriate leeway and things like that. So all these innovation projects, just like all the established projects and processes that exist in the company, they all need to have that good control structure in place. Yes, you know, otherwise you're running your business run off a cliff that you're not expecting. So I think all it, I think you've hit the nail on the head, Stephanie, is it's all about internal audit being there as a trusted advisor. And that's what we need. You know, we're not expecting you guys to be policemen, but we need to ask your advice, you know, what's acceptable? Um, and we don't, we want to come to you, so as a business, we want to come to internal audit first to ask the questions so we don't run into trouble later. Um, it's all about being a good corporate citizen here. You know, we want to make sure we do the right thing. I don't want to have the CEO banging on my desk saying, we've got a data leak here, internal audit go, we didn't know. Um, and. But with basic basic controls in place, um, that's okay. It's the software engineering term we use is MVP, um, which is minimum viable product. You know, what's the minimum viable standards we need to apply and controls we need to apply to this to make it work? It will change over time, but that's okay. Part of this process is it's all about change. It's very dynamic, very dynamic. So things could change continuously, and it's not just embracing. The, um, the SaaS model is embracing the organizational chains that we're going through um, and basically turning to a audit and saying, we need your guys' help here. What can we do to make this better? Well, Jason, thank you so much for all of your uh, just insight into this topic. I certainly appreciate it. Any closing thoughts before we wrap this podcast up? Change is coming. Internal audit being there as the trusted advisor is the key thing here. But obviously, internal audit needs to get up to speed with the, um, the, the SaaS model, I think, is the key thing here, and applications not being owned by the company anymore. Absolutely. It's definitely an exciting time to be in internal audit, and uh, I'm seeing more change with companies, with internal audit, and the challenge will be, of course, and the opportunity will be to embrace that change and uh, you know, let it take all of us into, into the future. So thank you, Jason, for your time today. Thank you for all of your insight. I learned a lot and I appreciate you being here. And with that, uh, thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. Bye. Ideagen Insights.